Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, August 4th, marks our 185th program. Today's featured solution, as you can see on your screen, is the 2021 Actus National Conference. After a year in which we had to cancel our 2020 event, Actus is stepping forward to make ourselves and the CDI profession stronger than ever. We hope you can join us October 25th through 28th in Dallas, Texas for the return of our Actus Conference. Um, there's going to be cutting edge education as always. We're going to have four tracks offered um, at the Sheridan Dallas Hotel right in downtown Dallas. It's a great spot covering things like coding and clinical concerns, management and professional development, regulatory changes and challenges. Topic of today, outpatient CDI. Uh, and we're offering a online only bonus um, essential program that we're going to tag on to this that participants can enjoy when they return home. So consider joining us in Dallas in October. It's coming up quick for the uh, return of the Actus National Conference. Okay, so my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Getting Started in Outpatient CDI. Today's show is sponsored by Curation Health. Curation Health helps providers and health plans navigate and scale from fee-for-service to value-based care. Its advanced clinical decision support platform for value-based care drives more accurate risk adjustment and quality program performance by curating and delivering relevant real-time insights to the clinician and care team. For more information, please visit curationhealth.com. Okay, so today I'm joined by my familiar co-host, we all know and love, Sharm Brody. Uh, Sharm is an instructor for the CDI boot camps and a subject matter for expert for us here at Actus. Uh, prior to joining us, she worked as a consultant, providing program audits, implementation, and continuing education across the country. She's implemented and overseen CDI departments in both large academic and small community hospitals. She does it all for us here at Actus, writes for our CDI journal, CDI strategies, so many great Q&As, and of course, uh, is my regular co-host on the podcast. I want to welcome Sean Brody. Hi, everyone. Hi, Brian. Hello. Okay, and now I want to introduce our special guest today. We have uh, with us Yvonne Whitley. Yvonne is the manager for the Novant Health Ambulatory Clinical Documentation Improvement Team. We were just joking before the show that Yvonne is my go-to person for a lot of things, outpatient CDR, most things, because she was really one of the first clinical documentation specialists tasked with creating this new department for Novant Health's medical group way back in September 2013, where they built one of the first ambulatory CDI programs in the country. Uh, her team of six, RM, six RNs excuse me, supports all primary care providers, for Novant Health's medical group of over 125 physician locations and over 650 providers. She's been with Novant Health the last 20 years, has a nursing background that includes critical care, trauma, and open-heart ICUs. She also serves on our CCDSO certification committee, and I want to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Yvonne. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. I appreciate you coming back on the show. This is at least your second program, if not your third. But again, go to for all things outpatient. Looking forward to the discussion today. But before we get there, let's do what we always do. We're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. Uh, the question reads, if you don't currently have an outpatient CDI program or department, what's stopping you? Your options are maybe you don't have a workable model for this. Maybe you don't see a clear return on investment for outpatient. Maybe you don't have um, uh, the, the staff or dedicated resources and time. The fourth option is, well, you're already engaged in outpatient CDI or not applicable or other. Again, we're asking you today, if you don't have an outpatient CDI program, what's stopping you? Um, no workable model, no clear ROI, lack of staff or dedicated resources, maybe you're already engaged in outpatient or not applicable. I, I also have other in there. Um, always love to see your other responses or other comments uh, during the show, so send those in. The other cool thing about today's poll is we asked the same question two years ago, back in August 2019. So uh, in addition to reviewing the poll results from today, we're gonna take a look to see how they compare to the same question that we asked two years ago, almost to the day. So thank you for sending those in. We will close this out and come back to it as we always do in just a few minutes. All right, our guest today is Yvonne Whitley. Yvonne, again, welcome to the program. Um, I thought it'd be helpful to just start by talking a bit about Novant Health and its outpatient or ambulatory CDI program. So can you speak to, um, you know, just sort of the basics to frame the discussion today, you know, uh, when you got started, sort of the, the, the number of staff that you had and, and who you staffed the program with, and, and also what are your benchmarks for success? I, I get, we get asked this question all the time, is how you track progress. Sure. So one of the things I remember when I was first um, interviewed was a statement that still holds today, and that is you'll be flying this plane as you build it. Um, it changes all the time. We continue to grow and just try to improve as with any department you want to try and improve. So we started out with three of us RNs and none of us had any CDI experience, no acute CDI at all. So we had to literally teach ourselves all about risk adjustment, HCCs, RAF, CDI and coding. And within three months, we had an initial process and a query template. We did face-to-face -face education, sitting in a clinic and delivering prospective paper queries to providers. Then we'd collect them after the data service and review them, giving feedback to the provider if necessary. So since all of this was so new, we really didn't have any data to guide us on where to begin. So we just used claims information and looked at the percent of diabetes without complications versus diabetes with complications used at visits and started with those providers that had a high rate of diabetes without complications. And over time, we saw a shift from that high percentage of diabetes without to diabetes with complications. This wasn't an ideal data tool since we had to have patients to really see the shift occur. I think as with anything you might use as a benchmark, it's probably going to take some time to be able to see any successes. Mm -hmm. 
wow, that's interesting, Pros prospective paper queries. So you would just actually <laughs> go around and, and leave them in their offices and, and that type of workflow? Yes, they were. They We would initially have face-to-face -face, um, visits with them to talk about risk adjustment, HCCs. Nobody had ever heard of it, this before. And then we literally hand them a pile of queries. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's kind of funny. Yeah, Hold on, what would you say, this is Sean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what would you say was the most important step you had to take before you even started this? I think people are afraid because they don't know what the most important step to take is. Yeah, and, and, and until you understand, I think, understanding risk adjustment and what it means, um, it'll help get you started on where you might, where you might want to start. I mean, there's so many different ways you can look at this and start from. Um, I think for me, I'm trying to think back then, um, as I was telling Brian a little bit ago, it's hard to remember what I didn't know in the beginning, and that was risk adjustment and HCCs. What, what is, you know? So really initially understanding that will help guide you using that knowledge on what you need to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So risk adjustment really sounds like, you know, and, and that sort of leads to my next question, Yvonne, is, you know, once once you sort of get started, let's say you may, maybe you start with a prospective review of, of a diagnosis, like you talked about diabetes, um, to try to clarify that, you know, how do you know if you're on the right track? What, 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 what were you using to monitor success? Maybe you could talk a little bit about sort of risk adjustment and, and uh, how you were monitoring success in those early days. Um, and then, you know, what, what are, you, you, meant, you mentioned that one example, but what are some of these sort of high impact type of either records or diagnoses, maybe things like the problem list that, that might yield a good return for, for folks who are just getting started? Sure. Um, I want to back up to the last question a little bit, too, and, and say that one of the other important things, too, is to have C-suite um, support and a provider leader that can help support. I can't tell you how many times having a provider champion helps with everything from provider engagement and peer-to-peer -peer communications to other things that you'll need, like requests for IT data builds for any reports that you might want to build. But to answer your question here, um, that you just asked. It's really hard for us to gather, it was, any useful data in the beginning. Um, unfortunately, like I mentioned, it takes a, little, a, a bit of time to see any progress on the goals you initially set. Also, if there's anything you want to monitor or measure, it'll probably be something that you'll need to track manually, at least at first. So if you decide to use payer data, though, one of the struggles we had with that was either they weren't able to give us provider detail or they weren't able to, we weren't able to um, fully research the patient's records because patients see, you know, providers outside of our system too. Um, and one of the many data points that we now track is the change in HCC scores pre and post CDI query. So from that, we can apply a hypothetical PMPY, and we use an average PMPY for our Medicare and MA plan patients to give what we always preface our data with. This is quote unquote, directionally correct um, of the increase to projected costs, which will impact future cost benchmarks, which can ultimately impact your opportunities for shared savings contracts and your provider fee schedule. I think high impact records are 
probably the patient encounters for PCPs, since they're they're the ones who I call the team captain of a patient's care team, and will have patients attributed to them by payers. Um, I think sometimes if you're going to use the problem list, running reports on that can be um, as the problem lists are a bit messy because they have a lot of things in there that they shouldn't. Um, so, but it is something to consider. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, I think some of the main diagnoses to target and what we started with and still do are the diabetes with and without complications, your CKD stages, morbid obesity, uh, severe obesity with comorbidities, and MDD, that major depressive, depressive disorder. Um, those are some of the ones that are easy to identify and um, it, you're able to um, track progress with some of those too on, you know, uh, how many, how many have sent, um, how many have agreed, things like that. Right. Uh, since we've been, sorry, since we've been participating in an MSSP plan for several years now, we look at performance data as one of the tools to help guide us for, tar for targeted provider education. Uh, granted, it provides delayed information as the scores we see are based on claims two years prior, but at least it gives us a lot of information about RAF scores, patient panel size and cost, drilled down to provider level, um, and it, it just helps with who may need more education, who may need more help and assistance. We also know that just because costs may be high and RAF low on these reports, it may not necessarily mean the provider wasn't doing well with documentation um, because it could be that they just had patients that had high ED utilization or readmission rates. Again, it's just one other data tool we have in our quiver to help guide us for education. Um, and initially, along with those paper charts, we would randomly review um, charts of patients with future appointments looking for opportunities. But boy, that took a long time. Um, to, to just scan all these patient charts every day on their on a provider schedule. Now we have an Excel pivot report that's run bi-weekly. I guess you could call it our CDI work queue that the CDS can filter for their own clinic and providers. And what it does is it displays you know, future patient appointment dates. And by clicking on the date, we'll show the clinic, the provider, and the patients with their patient ID that have opportunity for certain diagnoses based on criteria we built into uh, this report where a diagnosis has not been used. Um, so then the CDS can go directly to that chart, review it, and if appropriate, send a provider a query. And currently now we send electronic queries <laughs> to the provider's in-basket as a staff message, and it's timed to be delivered the morning of that patient appointment. So the provider can respond and hopefully include the more specific diagnosis at that visit, as well as add it to the problem list. After the date of service, we review the encounter and provide feedback as appropriate through their in-basket. And also, new just this year, um, we created and implemented a medical group-wide problem list policy that details the how, the how why, what, et cetera, on managing the problem list, and specifically, it allows my team to help with cleanup of this problem list by removing redundancies, combining diagnoses that, you know, according to coding guidelines, have an assumed relationship. But if there's any question at all, then a CDS sends a query to that provider. 
That's nice to finally have some of the um, tools to help. That seems to be one of the biggest complaints with outpatients is um, people have told me is they don't have the same tools that we have on the inpatient side. So that's going to go into the next question, which talks about success. But that sounds like one of your biggest successes. So um, we know that you've been doing this for a while. And what we and that, you know, it's up to you how much you want to say about failures or failures with with the um, certain things that you've tried and haven't worked out. But if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, maybe some of the early ones, um, some of the mistakes that maybe you made as a group or some of the hard-earned successes, like it sounds like you've just explained a little bit. Sure. I think the, the best advice I can say is baby steps. So, yeah. you know, like I said, we would hand them a whole pile of queries. Um, this was in the beginning, of course, in our provider champion, you know, when I asked, well, you know, what's a good number of providers to 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 give to these the, these uh, providers we're going to see, and he thought somewhere between twenty and thirty. And so, not knowing what I know now, um, I laugh at that. But absolutely, don't overwhelm your providers with too much information at first, because <laughs> like I saw with some of them, their face, their screensaver goes on, and they're checked out. They're not listening anymore. So now we may send just a couple of queries to a provider a month, and if they continue to have difficulties, then we try to get another short, maybe 15-minute face-to-face meeting set up. Um, I suggest when you start your program, begin with a clinic or two that you know will have engaged providers that will give you good feedback before you take it out to your whole wide world. Um, harder and successes, I might say, is just really seeing our raft needle move, and just as satisfying is to me seeing that provider you've worked with so hard and long with and they have that aha moment of understanding and then you see their improvement with their documentation and diagnosis to me that's that's i love that hmm. thanks yvonne you know i thought maybe i could work in a question that i'd received from a listener because it, it sort of ties into some things we were talking about but um you know in a more direct way now this this person wrote um, the comment that it will take a long time to see effectiveness. I know that query support will be minimum due to the extra cost to implement. How do we truly justify the staffing cost um, that might go into this? You know, I mean, when when you started, you you mentioned to talk about RAF scores and uh, PMPY per per member per, per year. Um, I believe that acronym is, but. You know, how, how long did it take you to to start seeing any any return? And and I guess you know that that's a hard question to to have your organization. Um, you know, if you if you want to do this, you feel like you should be in this space, but you know it to to actually staff up. You know, with with RNs and or 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 HIM coding professionals and justify salaries or expense of the some of the software you're using. And how long does it take to start? playing that out Yvonne because that that's yeah. really the that's that continues to be the stumbling block for a lot of folks I think without patient I understand um, a couple of things I think first um, to show an ROI you you are going to have some have to have some patience so it's kind of like that crazy okay who came first the chicken or the egg kind of situation because you don't have CDI and you can't see the work that they do um, but I will say that, you know, if you can show to leaders the impact 
that increased specificity may have, and I think there's been many examples of this, of say you just look at a patient and okay, now they don't, you know, two diagnoses were submitted for this patient for this year. And then as you move across that chart of including all diagnoses and including ones that are very specific and apply that hypothetical PMPY, you can show what it does to increase the cost of care for that one patient, which eventually is, is you know, going to impact your cost benchmarks, which, you know, down the road, like I said earlier, impacts your, your chances with value-based care contracts you have with payers. So when you can show, you know, that your cost literally stay the same, but how sick that patient looks now, because you're actually showing the true complexity of this patient, then you've tipped that scale to look like, wow, you're doing a great job with, with managing costs um, without even doing anything to cost. So it's really hard to show, you know, without having staff already, without having that ability to show the changes in HCCs um, because of your queries. But I think it's, it's impactful to say, here's an example of what could happen with one patient if you take, you know, maybe analyze a few patients and look and see, are there opportunities here? And what does that really mean for that one patient for this population? And it can um, then extrapolate out and show it's a pretty big impact to the dollars, the bottom line. Mm -hmm. All right, great stuff. I guess just to wrap up, uh, before we move on, any any final additional resources that you might recommend to folks, or maybe one or two that maybe that are inspired by the show to get started in outpatient that, that you use on a regular basis? Yes, of course, Actus and Actus. I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the huge like resource pot, I would say, for information on anything around you know outpatient CDI. Um, and risk adjustment, things like that, anything about queries if you want to get started. I mean, that's what I did too. I started and I and I looked at what's a CDI query? What's that, you know, the guidelines? Um, I'll say CMS website on, you know, has tons of inform information too on risk adjustment, but boy, that can be hard to navigate sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, AHEMA, AAPC, you know, if you have an acute uh, CDI program up and running, work with them too. That's what I did. I shadowed them a lot to understand what the heck is going on here um, and learning about that. But um, yeah, luckily nowadays, if you Google outpatient CDI, you'll probably have a lot more hits for information than, than I did when I started. But absolutely, Actus, I think, is the biggest resource. All right. Well, thanks, Yvonne. Let's go ahead and share our poll results. So again, we asked our listeners today, if you don't currently have an outpatient CDI program out apartment, what's stopping you? 16% uh, say they don't have a workable model to implement or use. 8% uh, are citing no clear return on investment. 30% say a lack of staff or dedicated resources and time are the primary obstacle. 24% uh, are currently engaged in outpatient and 22% say not app not applicable or other. These these track somewhat closely to what we talked about uh, to this question that we uh, posed exactly in 2019. I'll just verbalize those results. So uh, in 2019, 19% said they did not have a workable model. 
So that might have declined a little bit. Uh, 6% said no clear ROI then as opposed to 8% now. Uh, 30%, 35%, excuse me, said that um, lack of staff or dedicated resources and time was a problem. That's declined to 30. Um, interestingly, 27% back in 2019 said they're engaged in outpatient CDI as opposed to 24% now. I don't know how statistically significant that is, but 3% fewer potentially now. Um, and 20, 19% said not applicable as opposed to 22% now. So I don't know if anything here surprises you, Yvonne, or anything you might want to mention about our poll, poll results today. Um, no, I, I, I'm not surprised, but was hoping that, uh, you know, there would be more uh, that were engaged in outpatient CDI. And of course, it depends on who's taking the poll today versus then. But um, I think, to this lack of staff or dedicated resources, COVID may have a big impact on it uh, right now. Right. The only thing I might say is that, well, maybe CDI isn't quite understood, you know, the impact that can be made for the health system by improving specificity. So, yeah. All right. Let's hop over to our in the news segment. So this is a regular segment featuring the latest industry updates and news relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Wanted to mention that, of course, if you're if you've been following uh, the news, there there is some big news out. The 2022, the fiscal year 2022 IPPS final rule just came out. Uh, of course, it hit yesterday, so I didn't have time to put together a news segment and focused on that. I am going to focus on that in our news segment on the next podcast. There were some interesting updates in the in the final rule that I want to share here on the show. For today, I just wanted to direct you to a, a piece that I wrote on LinkedIn, Signs of a Strong CDI Comeback. Yes, nepotism is real. I can link to my own stuff and share it with you guys, but thought you might like to see this. Um, really, it's I, I think a very positive sign for what's going on in CDI. And this this perspective, you know, comes from really uh, a recent Actus Advisory Board meeting that I had. The Actus Advisory Board is an elected board that helps us uh, in Actus develop guidance for our members, really make Actus the best association that it can be for our membership. Uh, we, we talk about really the big picture of the industry as well in monthly meetings. And, you know, many did report taking a hit from the COVID-19 pandemic, which we know is continues to be in flux today. But, you know, what I thought was interesting and, and very positive was that there was a lot of talk about being in sort of a CDI renaissance. Um, I, I sort of described these three broad trends here. And if you're not you know, on LinkedIn, I recommend you go there. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, happy to link in with you. I do post the occasional article there. We I tend to get a lot of traction on this platform. But the, the, the three broad trends that emerged were a re-emphasis on CDI basics, financial and quality improvement post-pandemic. I have here a board member described a CDI revival in their organization. They've been being asked by their service line chiefs and department chairs to provide education for them, um, review their, their charts and uh, have feedback. So work has been very busy amongst our board members. 
Um, you may have seen, and maybe you're in the boat of trying to hire new staff. You know, we, we had one organization had eight new positions approved, which bumped their staff from 15 to 23. Um, we had another organization hiring a physician education liaison to orient new providers across the organization, as well as four new quality liaisons and nine frontline CDI specialists. They still have three open positions. Hiring is booming right now in a lot of organizations. Um, and the last thing that I thought was interesting and worth sharing was that we're seeing some merging with CDI with some other departments and collaborating on, on critical responsibilities. Really, this has been driven in large part by, um, unfortunately, some denials increases. I'm sure we're all maybe aware of that if you're involved with denials in your organization. Um, but really, this has meant a lot of collaboration with departments like case management, UR, to try to create a united front. You know, we were hearing about, and some of our board members described that you know, there there might be a diagnosis that was denied. CDI professionals would send appeals letters for DRG downgrades, et cetera, maybe have some success only to see the whole case denied by a second and different auditor uh, for reasons related to medical necessity. So trying to come up with a comprehensive approach to, to combat this and realizing that there is a lot of um, crossover between case management, UR, and a lot that CDI professionals can work on together with their colleagues who are also striving to improve documentation for other reasons. It's really, I thought, a very positive picture of what's going on in CDI. I know this does not match everyone's story, um, but again, I, I thought it worth sharing. And if you haven't, you know, I'm not going to much more to this article. If you do want to check it out, it is on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. Signs of a CDI strong, uh, strong CDI comeback. Yvonne, just wondering if what how this compares to what's going on in Novant or how you guys are doing with the COVID-19 impact and, and are you seeing any light on the other side yourself? Yeah, this is all very exciting to hear for sure. Um, but for us, when COVID hit, you know, we went remote and Zoom meetings actually made it easier for us than traveling to clinics for face-to-face -face meetings. Also, because there weren't as many patients coming in last year to see their providers, they had more time to meet with us and answer our queries. Hmm. Um, so for us, even during COVID, it was busy times and we certainly took advantage of that. Um, we just recently are going back to clinics for face-to-face -face, as some providers you know, do better with that than a Zoom meeting, but with the rise in COVID cases, that might be delayed again. All right. Well, yeah, we'll, we're we're going to see what's going on with the with the rise in cases. It is a little troubling, but um, hopefully these these trends continue and we, and we see CDI get back to where it needs to be. Okay, last thing here, um, just a quick Actus update. If you haven't seen this yet, we have a new leadership council report on the state of CDI and technology. This is a free report. You can click here on the website and download it. I'm going to, as I always do, we'll provide all the links I've shared in the show notes for this program. We post all the Actus podcasts on actus.org, and we include the links in there. Uh, this is a was an interesting survey we conducted with our CDI Leadership Council, which is about 260 leaders across the nation on where they are with technology adoption, um, some of the obstacles they've hit with that, some of the successes they've had, survey data with analysis. So um, 
definitely worth checking out a great report if you haven't yet seen it. Okay, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus Podcast. Glad you could join us today. We're going to be back here again in two weeks for our next show on August 18th, EHR Modifications, a practical guide for CDI professionals. Again, I want to thank Curation Health for their support of today's show. As a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via your favorite podcast player, via uh, maybe Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We provide the recordings the Friday following the live show. And as always, if you have any suggestions about future show ideas, please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. All right. Thanks again, Yvonne, for coming on. Really appreciate your insight. And uh, for everyone else, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone.